So thanks for being with us today. My name is Chuck, and I've been uh, the pastor here this August. will be eight years, and I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning. We're going to talk a little bit today about what it is that you see. So right now, we're going to do a little experiment. Cornell University spent well over a million dollars to prove the point that we're going to make here right now. All right? So I'm going to count to three. And you're going to look around anywhere you want to look and find at least three things that are green. You ready? One, two, three, go. Time. How many of you found nothing green? Okay, you did not try. You're sitting in a green chair. Your husband is wearing a green shirt. You totally blew my opening illustration. Thank you so much for that. That was awesome. Cornell said that if you look for something at any particular color and you give somebody 10 seconds, that they will find at least three things other than you that is around them and you pick almost any color. It's like when you buy a new car and all of a sudden you notice everybody else has bought that same car. You know, or like you decided you were making this radical change to the paint color of your home, you got it done, and all of a sudden you thought, wow, everybody else has already done this. I thought that I was taking it on new, right? I mean, it's kind of like whatever it is you look for, you see. Well, in today's uh, teaching, we find two people, Cleopas and probably his wife, and they are leaving Jerusalem and they're, as they head out, they're on a road toward their hometown where they live in a little city called Emmaus, all right? So Cleopas, they, they head out, him and his wife, and as they're walking, they're talking about what has just occurred in Jerusalem. Now, in Jerusalem, over the past few days, it's been quite a stir because what we found was the Thursday before, then it was the Passover meal, and at that time, we, we know that what happened is the religious leaders brought Jesus to a mock trial. We know that they pronounced him guilty. They beat him and scourged him, spat upon him. He carried his own cross. We know that on that Friday, he died, and on that Sunday, he arose. And they're talking about everything that's happened. But at this point, even though they've been told that Jesus has risen from the dead, they're not really going to believe that has happened. Now, I know people today who feel the same way, where uh, they have heard about how Jesus was, was killed. They've heard how Jesus hung on a cross. They heard how he shed his blood and allowed his body to be broken. And they've heard that he was died and buried. They've heard that he rose from the dead. But the fact is, they're just not ready to buy in completely. Now, that's the way these two folks were, but they, they had been followers of Jesus, and they had been hanging around with Jesus, and they had seen so much. But you know, the eye is a tricky thing. Did you know that your eye is the second greatest organ in your body behind your brain? Did you know, I, I read this, I thought this was fascinating. It's the second most complex organ after the brain, and it has two million working parts to it in each eye. You have four million working parts in your eye. It's why I wear glasses. But if you're a fellow glasses wearer and you show up somewhere and you forgot your glasses, what happens? 
You order the wrong thing, you call people by the wrong name, you get on the wrong street, and nothing good happens. It's like Cleopas and his wife decided what we see is what we see, but that's it. By the way, I also realized, did you know that 80% of your memory, which for some of you is really small, but for 80% of your memory is founded by what you see over what you hear. 80% is what you see. Now, you know the old story about, about computers, right? Garbage in, say it with me, garbage. Yeah, well, so what Cleopas has, he and his wife, they don't have garbage. They have simply witnessed history. And as they head toward home, they're talking about all the events that have happened in Jerusalem over the last few days. So let's take a look at the scripture. We're in Luke chapter 24, and we're going to pick it up in verse 15. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus, now watch this, Jesus himself, all right, this is like a bodily Jesus, all right? Like if you're thinking this is like ghost Jesus, no, this, we're talking real, live, honest to goodness, flesh and bone Jesus, touch him, Jesus, right? Because I think some of us, we, we, we put Jesus in the category of things that are but aren't. But now the scripture makes a point that Jesus himself suddenly came and began, and look at these three words, walking with them. Now, this is the good news for you and I, that even in the moments that we may have in doubt, Jesus still wants to come and walk with you, wherever it is you go. Now you say, well, I'm not sure where I was at Friday night. I want Jesus to come with me, all right? But the scriptures say there's nowhere you can hide from him. So if you were embarrassed by Jesus being with you, then let me give you the Christian eye. You know what that is, right? But only you know. So he's walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Here's the next word. They were sad. What were they sad about? Well, they had trusted Jesus. They followed Jesus. They had surrendered their life to follow Jesus. And then over the past weekend, as they're discussing on the way home, they, they are talking about, but he's dead. He's gone. It's over. Everything we hoped in is done. But the scripture goes on and says, then one of them, Cleopas from Pride, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. If you were Jesus, would you not blow a fuse right here? I mean, seriously, when somebody, let's just, let's just say that one of you, all right, let's just take you, all right, let's just say today you pulled in the parking lot coming to church and one of our deacons hits your truck and you're like, you know, it's Easter, okay, but he got out and he said, you idiot, you hit my truck and now you're coming a little unglued, right? And, and then he gets out and he says, I demand payment now. And you're like, okay, Easter or nothing, we're going at it. Am I reading you right so far? Yeah, okay, good. We, by the way, we have cops here. They'll take you out, all right? So hang with me. And this thing escalates and it escalates and it escalates more. And then you come into church and she's got you under control. Like my wife has had to do that before. My wife has literally had to grab the bill of my ball cap and say, look what your shirt says, Sugar Hill Church. Are you with me? 
This is the last time you're ever going to sit in the front row, isn't it? Yeah. And so, and so you come in and you start telling everybody about, you're not going to believe what happened to me in the parking lot. It's like the chairman of deacons almost runs me off in a ditch. He dents my truck, blames me for it. We go at it. You're not going to believe this. And you know, somebody says, so who are you and what happened? How do you feel? Ticked, right? Like if I'm Jesus and I'm saying, wait a minute, everything you're talking about happened to me. I'm here with you. Everything that happened, happened to me. So the story goes on. What things, Jesus asked? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. Now, this is a pretty interesting thing. They're still referring to him as a man. Now, this is a big part of the Easter story because Jesus is both man and God. You see, Jesus came fully man so that he could be born of a virgin, live a sinless, perfect life, and give his life as the ultimate sacrifice for the rest of us humans. But the only way he could have done that is the fact that he was also fully God. Now watch this because I think this is a big deal, all right? Most of us see God as one big circle. Okay, there's God. We don't really understand it, but we know he's there. But we forget that God in his infinite wisdom, that God has three parts. There's a trinity. So there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So Jesus comes as fully man, fully God, now listen to the rest of the text. They said he was a prophet. Wait a minute. First he's just a man. Now he's just a prophet. But what a, what, he did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. I have made a disaster of that screen. But they gave all kind of references to who Jesus is. But the one reference that they haven't given here is that Jesus is the risen Savior of the world. They have not mentioned that Jesus is the coming King. They have not mentioned that he is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. They have not mentioned anything. They have said he's a man, he's a prophet, he did miracles, he's a mighty teacher, and in the eyes of God and all the people. Now watch this because it gets interesting. But our leading priests and other religious leaders, and here's the two words that drive me bat crazy. And religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. Now watch this. When people say, well, who killed Jesus? All right. Now technically, the folks that put Jesus on that cross were the religious leaders. But now watch this. The reason Jesus got on that cross is because of your sin and mine. We're the ones that killed Jesus. And you say, wait a minute, I never met him. I never saw him. Don't put that on me, Chuck. Well, it, it wasn't because you necessarily wanted to do that. It was because he wanted to do that for you. You see, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Now, the religious leaders, though, said, wait a minute. This guy is messing up our scene. Jesus is coming along saying that you, regular people, can talk directly to him and he can directly forgive you of your sins. And we believe that 
everybody needs to come to us. And along the way, can you imagine how the religious leaders were totally freaked out at what Jesus' message was? Jesus came and said, all those rules that they say you need to keep, throw them away because there's only two things that you need to do. And when you do these two things, all those others will take care of themselves. If you will love God with all your heart, mind, and soul and love others as you love yourself. You say, well, now, Chuck, maybe I, maybe I like the religious leaders because I like rules. Here's the bad news. None of us have the ability to keep those 600 rules. And more importantly, we don't have the ability to live a perfect life. And without a perfect, sinless life, we don't deserve, nor can we be, in right favor with God. Which would mean, not only could we not have heaven, we couldn't have peace on this earth. So they're describing this is what happened. And you know what this always reminds me of? I believe if Jesus had chosen to come back into this generation and to bring his message of redemption and hope and healing to this generation, I still think we'd have crucified him. Because Jesus offers something that nobody else can. The God-man came and he offers something nobody else can. They said, we had hoped. Oh, we really had, we really hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Ladies, thank you. Clearly the men didn't think it was worth the view. Ladies, thank you for coming on. Look what happens. So then, I mean, like, this is how I read it. So then, after the lady showed up, the guys, some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, which is proof that Peter was from the south. Like, because when you read that, don't you want to say, some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough. I mean, seriously, like, if you're, if you're like anywhere north of Kentucky, you have no idea what I just said. But sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Jesus is reminding them that from the time Adam had shown up on the scene, through all of the prophets, God had been about one thing, redeeming his people and bringing his people back into right relationship with God. Jesus began this work as part of the Trinity going all the way back to the promises made to Adam. And it says here that you are so foolish that you find it hard to believe. Now you say, well, Chuck, I believe it. I have a Bible. But odds are good you hadn't read it. You say, but Chuck, well, wait a minute. I, we know how the story ends, right? Well, well we do, but is it possible we're not getting every benefit that we could out of all that Christ loves us with? Because look at this. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all those things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures these things concerning himself. And the text goes on and says, by this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey and Jesus acted as if he were going on. But they begged him. Stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. Now, this is a big deal as well. Isn't it great to know that Jesus didn't require you 
to come here to meet him. He's more than happy to go home with you. He's more than happy to go to the cubicle with you tomorrow. He's more than happy to meet with that teacher tomorrow. He's more than happy to lead that presentation tomorrow. He's more than happy to go to your job site tomorrow. So he went with them, and as they sat down to eat, watch this, he did two things. He took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. Now watch this, because this is where we meet Jesus as well. You see, I I think we live in a culture that is so desiring to have something flamboyant and awesome and wondrous happen that we forget that in the common moments, Jesus takes the bread blesses it and breaks it. This is exactly like communion. This is exactly what had happened. And the question would remain, what do you see when that happens? Well, if you go back, look what happens. Suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized him. And at that moment, you know how the story goes on? He reveals himself to them and it says that their hearts burned with fire. Now, the picture of your heart burning with fire, it is not about this organ, right? We recognize this organ is kind of like here, but the fact is he's talking about in a biblical sense from the top of your hair to the end of your toe that what he's saying is they were caught up in fire. They were rekindled. They were rebuilt. They were reborn to the sense that, wait a minute, what once was hopeless is no longer hopeless. What once was death now is living in front of me. What I couldn't see, I now see plain as day. And they're about this process and they are caught up like a fire within them. You know, most folks know that Easter is a really big deal. But most of us don't see why. We look, but we don't see. And I think at times it's, what do you see? Well, Chuck, I I see the church, and it's a messed up place full of messed up people. And I don't want to go to church with a bunch of hypocrites. I want to give you an out on this one. You're never going to find a church that's not filled with hypocrites. If you found one that wasn't filled with hypocrites, you would go to it and mess it up. (laughs) I am the number one hypocrite here. I'll promise you, if... If you're going to measure the church of the Lord Jesus based on the activity, the people in this room, we are in so much trouble. I've seen your social media posts this week. (laughs) What is it that you do see? Well, when you look and you don't see, now you've got a problem. I remember when when I, the very first pair of glasses I had, All they were were for one distance, like I needed to see at night, you know. And then as I got older, I got where I couldn't read with those glasses. So I wound up doing this, and then I wound up doing that. And eventually I had to get these progressive lenses, because getting old is ridiculous. And and it's so expensive. And and by the way, kids will suck the life out of your... That has nothing to do with this message. All right, so I just want to make sure you're with me. And, And... I remember I couldn't read the menu. Some of us are experiencing some temporary blindness here because we're saying, but this whole story of Jesus, Chuck, go back for them. He was walking with them, the bodily Jesus walking with him. But look, they they didn't see him. I want to remind you that Jesus, 
the son of the living God, the risen king of king and lords of lords, he is walking inside this building, tapping you on the shoulder saying, how about today? Can we get this today? And there are going to be people that leave Easter service. They're going to leave here today. They're going to leave at 5 p.m. or they left from 7 or from 9. And they walked out in their car in a hurry to go get dinner. And they will have not seen the living, breathing, risen Son of God saying, Hey, how about today? You know why? Because many of us, frankly, we, we don't see Jesus because we're so busy. Let me give you an instance that might help. In Luke chapter 1, Mary, the mother of Jesus, so let me just make sure you get it. Mary, the mother of Jesus, all right? Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, okay? Now I'm going to draw something for you here. There's Jesus. He probably had flowing hair and a beard. Here's John the Baptist. He was really a weird dude. John the Baptist went ahead of Jesus. His job was to prepare the way, tell everybody Jesus is coming. Now watch this. When Jesus was baby Jesus, inside mommy Jesus, and John was baby John, inside Elizabeth. I did that better at nine. When they came together, this baby and this baby had a meeting. Now watch. The scripture says a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth child leaped within her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby, John, in my womb, he jumped for joy. Watch this. If a baby in the womb of its mother can jump in joy because the Savior of the world is being formed in the womb of his mother, two things are obvious to me. One, there is no excuse for why we can't see Jesus. And two, we ought to care for the unborn. And when I look at this, I think to myself, wait a minute. They didn't even have their eyes formed yet. They couldn't see. And yet at the first meeting of John the Baptist and Jesus, we have a little nay-nay going on. And in the middle of what's going on there, everything gets crazy. Now, they grow up to be adults. And John has done his thing. He's telling everybody about Jesus. John has his own disciples. They're, I mean, it's huge. People are asking him, John, are you the Messiah? And John's like, no, 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 no. I'm just here to lead the way. So John is baptizing people in the Jordan River. Now, I've baptized people in the Jordan River. It's kind of muddy and murky. And, and John is there, and there are probably hundreds of people on the bank who are coming, and they're trusting the message of John that Jesus will be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. But as an adult, they haven't met yet. 
And John is there in the water and he sees Jesus coming. And what you find in this text in Matthew 3 is that Jesus comes and John looks up at him and says, Master. And Jesus says, I've come for you to baptize me. And John's like, no, 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 no. It needs to be the other way. And no, Jesus says, no, this is important. I'm going to do this and I want you to know he wasn't too busy. I know folks that have said to me, you know, Chuck, I, I don't have time for Jesus in my life. I'm just too busy. You know, Chuck, I don't have time in my life. My business is running me. My, my, the expectations of my family, I'm trying to get out of debt. You just don't know, Chuck. Well, Jesus came and the whole world stopped when John looked up and even not meeting with Jesus except as a fetus. He knew the Savior of the world. Listen to me, friend. Look right here. I don't care how bad your eyesight. If you're looking for the Savior, you'll find him. If you're looking for Jesus, you'll find him. And Jesus will come and he will make your life not too busy for him. You say, well, Chuck, but you just don't get it. You're a preacher. You work one day a week, Chuck. Just like the text said, oh, you foolish people. (laughs) This is why we do a weekday podcast. Five minutes a day, five days a week, get scripture in you. You know why I know that happens? When you let the word of God get inside of you, God makes a promise. It will always accomplish the purpose for which he sent it. It will never return void and it will change your life radically if you let it five minutes a day. Well, this is why we do a weekday meditation. I want you to be able to experience the ability of quietude and solitude and guided prayer so that you can hear from God. You say, well, Chuck, I've never heard God. Have you ever heard him? Yes. You say, well, well, Chuck, I, I don't know if I can do that. Well, you could do that in another five minutes. Why do we do that power routines and try to get it? Because I want you to start your day with gratitude, with scripture, with journaling, and I want you to begin with prayer. Why? Because your first 15 minutes of the day can change your world if you'll get Jesus in it. If you'll wake up to the, with the determination to see Jesus, he's right there. He's not going anywhere. Psalm 121 says that God himself never slumbers, never sleeps, and when you awake, there he is. Wherever you go, there he is, no matter where. When my girls were little, my mom would stay and help some with the girls and And when she would hear them on that baby monitor, I mean, mom would waddle her way back down that hallway and you could hear her all the way back there saying to herself, we're gonna play today. I'm thinking, dear Lord, let them sleep later today. (laughs) And you know, she'd get on the floor and she'd play babies with them and she'd dress those dolls and she had so much patience doing all that stuff. Listen to me, look right here. When you woke up this morning, the God of all creation who never slumbers and never sleeps He was right there waiting on you saying, come on, let's go play today. Let's go get involved in this day. I've got plans for you. I've got plans for you to prosper. I've got plans for you to enjoy this life and to live it in a wild way. Problem is, we're just not looking for Jesus. We're we're looking for anything but him. We're looking for any way but him. And the problem is, there are times we're just prevented from seeing Jesus. You say, well, what on earth would prevent us from seeing Jesus? Well, I think more often than not, it's disbelief. 
And I think that disbelief comes from one thing. Are you ready? I think it comes from our inability to believe that Jesus, the risen Son of God, gives a hoot about your day Tuesday at 2 p.m. Or that he couldn't care less about where you park your car or the court date that you have or the divorce you're in the middle of or the cancer that you're fighting. And listen, here's what I know that I know that I know that I know. When you choose to see Jesus for who he is, he does more than just care about those items. He wants to get very involved with those items. And you can't beat having somebody who's beaten death to get in a foxhole with you when you're facing life-altering challenges. Jesus is here not to keep you from getting in trouble, to walk you through it. He's here because he wants to. He's there waiting for you. But I think there's sometimes we just don't believe in the sense that God even cares about little old me. Poor little old me. I mean, we almost become a martyr. God surely wouldn't care about me. Okay, listen to me. Look around at the people in this room. Go ahead, just swivel your head around. Look around. I know some of y'all are too cool to do it, but just look around. You know what you see? Weirdos. They're everywhere. I mean, seriously, don't y'all know that some of the weirdest people in the world go to church? I mean, just look at us. We're all messed up people. And here's the good news. God does more than give a hoot. He loves you. There's nothing you can do to make him not love you. What's preventing you from seeing Jesus often is you thinking you're not worthy of God's love. Here's the great news. You're not. You're not worthy of God's God's love. But here's the good news. You get it anyway. If we got what we deserve, we're in a mess. But God said, I'm going to send Jesus, and if you'll look for him, you'll find him. But you got to lose that pessimistic attitude. This attitude right here, here's the problem. Everything that matters is a matter of the heart. Let's make that pretty. Okay. Everything that matters is a matter of the heart. God wants your heart. Jesus came to redeem your heart. Jesus came so that tomorrow would matter, that it would be better, that heaven is your future and hope is a way of life. Jesus has come to ensure that when you see Jesus, you'll find him in every common gathering. What did Cleopas see? In the time when he broke bread. A lot of people believe that when he broke that bread and he blessed it, they could see the nail scars in his hand. I believe their eyes were opened at that moment because God allowed them to be. And in that moment, they could see Jesus for who he really is. Let me ask you, friend, right now, are you ready to see Jesus for who he really is? You say, well, Chuck, I I think so. Well, I want to encourage you because if you're not looking for Jesus, you're not going to find him. He's going to let you make this choice. Jesus isn't a puppet master pulling strings on you. I want to encourage you, just like you're on CSI, to pull out that, that flashlight and shine it in your heart and look in the mirror and see what you're finding. Have you ever noticed on those crime shows, even in daylight, they pull out a flashlight? I mean, I used to think that was dumb until I learned when, I, when I'm searching for something I need, that's what I do because it gets me focused on what's there. And the light shines on things I haven't seen before. Jesus is there. He's knocking on the door. Take that flashlight and in a common gathering, like coming to church on Easter, we get this thought that our heart is where we feel it first. What do we feel? Jesus. 
How do I know it? Because my heart is saying, Jesus, I, there's got to be more to this life than what it is. Jesus, there has to be more to what's going on in life. But sometimes we can't see what's right in front of us. Because you see, when Jesus comes into your life, he's going to encourage you and strengthen you. Now, a 6'4", Middle Eastern man is not going to walk into your life. He gave us the third part of the Trinity, the Spirit of God, as a gift that will indwell and live within us. And in that indwelling, God the Holy Spirit begins to change the nature of our heart, our mind, and our soul. So have you ever seen somebody who came and in a service weeping and hollering and came to an aisle and crying, and then on Monday they dropped 78 F-bombs? Maybe you were that person. Listen, look right here. Becoming a Christian is not going to make you perfect any more than being born in a bakery will make you a donut. <laughs> Jesus goes to work within you. He never has asked you to change your behavior before you come to him. There's never been a time in scriptures that the son of God the living, risen Son of God has never looked at anybody and said, when you get your life together, you come on and I'll take you. Jesus said the opposite. Jesus said, you come on with everything you have. Whatever is filthy, I'll take you just like you are and we'll begin the process of making you better every day, minute by minute, day by day. And listen to me, aren't you glad that's the way of Jesus? Otherwise, we'd never have a hope. We'd never have heaven. We would never be at peace. Aren't you glad Jesus came to take you right in the middle of your junk? Because I got news for you, folks. We all got junk. And in the midst of that, Christ rises with his scars because your name is written right into those same scars and he can't bear to leave you behind. He means for you to rise too. Friend, listen to me. Easter, the story, is all settled in the equation that done is always greater than due. To try and live a religious life, you're doomed to failure. If the goal is you got to behave right and act right and talk right and drink right and think right, we're so messed. There's no way it's going to happen. I killed 12 people in my head on the way to church today. Now, I know the pastor's not supposed to admit that. I'm just telling you, man, I took that one guy out right over on Buford Highway in my head. He shared with me that he thought I was number one on Easter morning. Bless his heart. I prayed a curse on his life for Easter day. and I'm kidding. I wouldn't. I thought about it. But listen to me, friend. Jesus has done everything you need. There's nothing he's asking you to do except receive the gift. That's it. Chuck, it can't be that good a deal. It's, that's the greatest exchange of all time. Jesus took all that punishment, all that, all that sin, all that death, but here's the good news. The reason Jesus could do it is that in Christ, we don't see the cause. We see the resolution. We see the solution. A God who is utterly in love with you, his creation. That he leaves the perfect portals of heaven, comes to the filth, and becomes a part of the human race, 
and enters this world with all of its misery and sorrow brought about by the rebellion starting with Adam through us and he dies. And the one thing that we can't do is to beat death, so he did it for us. Okay, I'm gonna to try to say that one more time because you must be dead as a hammer or terribly hungry. I'm gonna say this one more time. The one thing we couldn't do was beat death, so he did it for us. That's a mild golf clap at best. Listen, friend, done is greater than do. Hope is better than despair. Trust is greater than fear. Love is greater than hate because Jesus is greater than death. This is good news. God doesn't just want us to celebrate the resurrection. He wants us to have a resurrection with him. He said, come on, let's go. Friend, today, that's your choice. You can look and not see, or you might look and plainly see, because I believe Jesus is tapping a lot of folks on the shoulder saying, hey, we need to get this right. I want to give you hope. I've already done everything for you. You don't have to do anything. Just trust me. The Bible says all you have to do is call on the name of the Lord. You know what that means? There's, there's no magic aisles. There's no magic altar. There's no magic prayer. There's no magic church. There's no magic denomination. There's no magic preacher or priest. You can go straight to Jesus and say, would you forgive me? Come into my life. I want you to be my Lord. I'm going to turn my life around with your strength. I'm going to live for you. I want to thank you, Jesus. You died for me and you rose. You came out of that grave. You hung around 40 days with more than 500 people seeing you, and today you sit by the right hand of the Father in heaven awaiting to create a home for all those who would believe. And I'll promise you, if I were here doing a funeral, I would say whether they were in a box with an open casket or closed or an urn, I would say this one thing. If they could say one word to you, here's what they would say. Don't miss heaven. And that's your choice right now. So if you'd say, Chuck, all that stuff you've talked about, I want that. I may not understand it all. I may not completely get it. I don't belong to any church, but I want that. Chuck, I'm not deciding I want to join your church. Matter of fact, after hearing you, probably don't. But I want to pick Jesus, and I want to get on that track. I want to stop looking in the rearview mirror at what my past has been. I want to look forward at what Jesus has for me. Because he has a plan for you to succeed wildly. He wants to love you and he wants you to walk with him. He wants to bless you richly. You're going to stop looking out the side mirrors and windows and thinking I got to compete and compare with somebody else. And Jesus just says, but I want you just the way you are. And today you might say, Chuck, what you said, that prayer, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me. I want to call on your name. I want to live for you. I want to thank you for dying and raising for me. If that's the prayer that you want on today, there's a lot of churches today going to tell you, bow your head, close your eyes, and all that stuff. Listen, you're not going to get that here. Jesus didn't die in a closet for you, friend. He hung on an old rugged cross at what we would know, the corner of Peachtree and Piedmont, in the middle of rush hour, hanging there for you and gave his life for you. And I'll promise you, he doesn't need you to give, you, give, you, give him your heart. In private, he needs you to do it in public because he says, when you confess me before men, I will confess you before the Father. So if today you want to say, I want that Jesus thing, I'm all in. Just raise your hand. Come on.
Keep them up for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Now, you know, I could do an altar call and tell you sad stories, try to get you to cry and come weep up here, and then I could beat you to death by getting baptized. But I believe when you say yes to Jesus, he gives you that gift of the Spirit of God, and you'll know when, and you'll know how, and you'll know where. Because I trust him, and you can too. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that we serve a king that has done everything, and we don't have to do anything but trust you and call on your name. Lord, for every hand that was raised, would you reveal yourself to them in such a way this week that they couldn't help but know that you have them and hold them and you are going to use them for great and wonderful things. For every hand that wished they had risen but didn't, you know every heart that we didn't see, would you work in them? For every person watching online that said, yes, me, would you step into their life and show them how powerful and mighty you are? I'm grateful that we get to see it day after day, week after week. Lord, we trust you. I'm so grateful that today I don't have to go look at a tomb that is sealed I don't have to go to a graveyard and read some type of headstone. I get to talk with the living, breathing son of the living God that we get to come to you, that veil has been torn and you have opened up the portals of heaven for anybody and everybody that would say, Jesus, I call on your name. So today, Lord, we praise you for all you are, for all you are being, for all you will be because we know you are the king you are the Lord, you are the Messiah, and you are the Savior of mankind. Come to redeem your creation. And so we sing to you and praise you in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen, amen, and amen. Real quick, let's just sing a chorus before we go. Y'all, come on, let's sing. Come on, sing it like you mean it. Praise the one who set me free. Come on, church, sing it. Come on, church. It has lost its grip on me. Come on, I can't you hear you, church. Broken every day. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Come on, church. Come on, show him some glory. Give him some praise. Come on, church. Death has lost its grip Woo! on me. In every chain, if salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. One more time, come on, church. Hallelujah. Hey, man, come on and sing. Stand up and be the man of God. Come on, man. Come on, guys. that 
that light and you will just blow out of here. They'll help you if you'll just let them. When you go by them, would you wave at them with an entire five fingers and say, thank you. And if you're on the other side, would you go the other way? Hey, here's what I want you to leave with. Don't miss this. I want you to leave knowing that that resurrected Jesus will go before you and make a way and make your crooked path straight because that's what he does. That risen Jesus, let him go within you to bring you peace and joy, fulfillment and contentment because he is always good. And listen, this is the best part. You are always loved. And on days when this world is just beating the crud out of you, where you just want to quit, let that living Jesus bend over so you can hop on his back and you can wrap your arms around his shoulders and let him walk you through the middle of all of life's junk. Not around it, but through the middle of it only to set you down victoriously on your two feet and wipe away your tears and kiss you on the forehead and wrap his arms around you so he can say to you, my child, say it with me, I love you. Hey, because of the risen Jesus, go in peace.